We turn to the book of Isaiah this morning, to Isaiah 45. We read this chapter in connection with our treatment of Lord's Days 36 and 37. The third commandment is that which we treat this morning. Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless that taketh his name in vain. We hear the inspired word of Isaiah 45. Thus saith the Lord to his anointed, to Cyrus, whose right hand I have holden, to subdue nations before him, and I will loose the loins of kings, to open before him the two-leaved gates, and the gates shall not be shut. I will go before thee, and make the crooked places straight. I will break in pieces the gates of brass, and cut in sunder the bars of iron. And I will give thee the treasures of darkness, and hidden riches of secret places, that thou mayest know that I, the Lord, which call thee by thy name, am the God of Israel. For Jacob my servant's sake, and Israel mine elect, I have even called thee by thy name. I have surnamed thee, though thou hast not known me. I am the Lord, and there is none else. There is no God beside me. I girded thee, though thou hast not known me, that they may know from the rising of the sun and from the west that there is none beside me. I am the Lord, and there is none else. I form the light and create darkness. I make peace and create evil. I, the Lord, do all these things. Drop down, ye heavens, from above, and let the skies pour out righteousness. Let the earth open and let them bring forth salvation, and let righteousness spring up together. I, the Lord, have created it. Woe unto him that striveth with his maker. Let the potsherd strive with the potsherds of the earth. Shall the clay say to him that fashioned it, What makest thou? Or thy work, he hath no hands? Woe unto him that saith unto his father, What begettest thou? Or to the woman, What hast thou brought forth? Thus saith the Lord, the Holy One of Israel and his Maker, Ask me of things to come concerning my sons and concerning the work of my hands, command ye, me. I have made the earth and created man upon it. I, even my hands, have stretched out the heavens, and all their host have I commanded. I have raised him up in righteousness, and I will direct all his ways. He shall build my city, and he shall let go my captives, not for price nor reward, saith the Lord of hosts. Thus saith the Lord, the labor of Egypt, and merchandise of Ethiopia and of the Sabaeans, men of stature, shall come over unto thee, and they shall be thine. They shall come after thee. In chains they shall come over, and they shall fall down unto thee. They shall make supplication unto thee, saying, Surely God is in thee, and there is none else. There is no God. Verily, thou art a God that hidest thyself, O God of Israel, the Savior. They shall be ashamed and also confounded, all of them. 
They shall go to confusion together that are makers of idols. But Israel shall be saved in the Lord with an everlasting salvation. He shall not be ashamed nor confounded, world without end. For thus saith the Lord that created the heavens, God himself that formed the earth and made it, he hath established it. He created it not in vain, he formed it to be inhabited. I am the Lord, and there is none else. I have not spoken in secret in a dark place of the earth. I said not unto the seed of Jacob, Seek ye me in vain. I, the Lord, speak righteousness. I declare things that are right. Assemble yourselves and come. Draw near together, ye that are escaped of the nations. They have no knowledge that set up the wood of their graven image and pray unto a God that cannot save. Tell ye, bring them near. Yea, let them take counsel together. Who hath declared this from ancient time? Who hath told it from that time? Have not I the Lord? And there is no God else beside me. A just God and a Savior. There is none beside me. Look unto me and be ye saved. All the ends of the earth. For I am God, and there is none else. I have sworn by myself, the word has gone out of my mouth in righteousness, and shall not return, that unto me every knee shall bow, every tongue shall swear. Surely shall one say, In the Lord have I righteousness and strength. Even to him shall men come. And all that are incensed against him shall be ashamed. In the Lord shall all the seed of Israel be justified, and shall glory. We read that far. May God bless his word to our hearts. As I stated, we read this in connection with our treatment of Lord's Days 36 and 37. Found in the back of our Psalter on page 21. Question 99, what is required in the third commandment? That we, not only by cursing or perjury, but also by rash swearing, must not profane or abuse the name of God. Nor by silence or connivance be partakers of these horrible sins in others. And briefly, that we use the holy name of God no otherwise than with fear and reverence so that he may be rightly confessed and worshipped by us and be glorified in all our words and works. Is then the profaning of God's name by swearing and cursing so heinous a sin that his wrath is kindled against those who do not endeavor as much as in them lies to prevent and forbid such cursing and swearing? It undoubtedly is. For there is no sin greater or more provoking to God than the profaning of his name. And therefore he has commanded this sin to be punished with death. Question 101. May we then swear religiously by the name of God? Yes, either when the magistrates demanded of the subjects or when necessity requires us thereby to confirm fidelity and truth to the glory of God and the safety of our neighbor. 
For such an oath is founded on God's word and therefore was justly used by the saints, both in the Old and New Testament. May we also swear by saints or any other creatures? No, for a lawful oath is calling upon God as the only one who knows the heart, that he will bear witness to the truth and punish me if I swear falsely, which honor is due to no creature. Beloved in our Lord Jesus Christ, God calls us to confess one only true and living God, to worship him in the manner in which he has commanded in his word, and now to honor his glorious and holy name. That's the relationship of the third commandment to the other of the commandments. God reveals his names to us so that now we can honor and reverence him and so that we can give him the worship that is due unto his holy name. The names of God are a manifestation of his greatness, his majesty, his power. As those names come to us, the Lord of hosts, the Almighty One, Jehovah, the Bible reveals concerning Jehovah God his greatness and his majesty through those names. Now the temptation is great that we take what we know about God and then we seek to use it against God. Rather than using what we know about God for his glory, we now try to make ourselves look better and we try to puff ourselves up and put ourselves above God. This is the depravity of our human nature and it's the depravity that's revealed against others in our lives. We take what we know about others and instead of using it to praise God for them and for the place that God has given them, we try to use it against them and try to use it in such a way that we make ourselves look better than they. This is a serious sin into which so quickly and easily we fall. We slander, we envy, we backbite instead of esteeming and thanking God for the gifts that God has given and worked in another. This sin starts with a low view of God. And that's what we want to focus on this morning. God in the third commandment stresses that we need to reverence Jehovah. We need to stand in awe before this great and glorious God of our salvation. And the whole of our life is to be lived as before his face and for his sake. So that how we work, how we go to school, what we do in our homes, every decision that we make is made in connection with God, the glory and the greatness of God, and our attitude toward Him. How we use the gift of speech is going to reflect our thought and our confession concerning God and concerning His place in our lives. And so God stands before us with the revelation of His name. And now the question that God directs to us is this. How are you making use of that revelation? How are you giving me all the glory, all the praise that is due unto my name with that knowledge that you have concerning who I am and my glory and my greatness? It Does your life reflect it or not? Beloved, this is a very personal matter between us and God. Our walk and our conduct is going to reflect either a low view of God or it's going to reflect awe and reverence.
toward the living God. Now we know that there are brash violations of the third commandment that we are aware of and that we see in the world about us and we ourselves can fall guilty to. The Catechism references the vain use of God's name through sorcery, through trying to determine the future. People call on God's name to try to figure out how their lives are going to be directed and how they can then try to determine what's going to happen to them tomorrow. They try to summon his control over sickness maybe for their benefit or control over enemies in order to glorify and honor them. So they try to use God now in a selfish way to benefit themselves. Especially the pagans seek to do this. Voodoo, witchcraft, to try to summon upon the name of God to bring curses upon this one who's my enemy. So that that one will go down and I can then take over maybe his land, what he has, and benefit from it. Using God again in my knowledge of God for my own benefit. Then there's the false view of the oath or the vow that takes God's name in order to speak that vow or that oath, but doesn't really mean it and shows by one's life then that they have a carefree perspective with regard to that. Rather than seriously calling upon God as the one who knows my heart and alone is able to assist me in keeping that vow, I now blatantly transgress that vow and show then a low view of God and a low desire to esteem him and to honor him in my life. There's the wicked cursing and swearing. How tragic that that comes on our lips. Our spouses, our parents, our children maybe caution us and say, you ought not talk that way. And yet, we continue to take God's name in vain. And as a result, we reveal then what's in our heart. We don't esteem God. We don't hold God in high regard and reverence. We're willing to use his name flippantly and lightly. Then there's the thoughtless use of God's name. That probably is that which is the greatest temptation for God's children. That we take God's name in prayer, in song, but we don't really think much about God and about his glory. There's a thoughtless use of it. Instead of our taking that name on our lips and then reflecting in our walk, in our conduct, in awe and a reverence, we do it flippantly, thoughtlessly. We confess the name of God, not with joy and with thanksgiving, but we do so in a manner that mocks God. Beloved, by God's grace, as his children, we take up his commandments. We confess with the psalmist, how love I thy law. We've been delivered from the bondage of that law. We know now the victory that's ours in Christ, and we desire, with hearts of thanksgiving, to live before our God. And rightly to adore him as the great and glorious holy God of heaven and earth. And so we look at the third commandment, noting first the basic principle, secondly the prohibition, and finally the demand. The name of God is holy. That's the basic principle of the third commandment. God comes before us with a revelation concerning his glory and his honor through his names. And those names are holy. When we talk about the name of someone, we do so in very different senses. Sometimes we talk about the name in terms of the identity. 
We're just talking about the specific title that identifies that person as who that person is. At other times, we talk about the name as the reputation of that person. So that, does that person have a good name in the community? Does that person have a good name in the workplace, perhaps? Now, the Bible teaches that a person's name and a person's person are indispensable. You can't separate them from one another. Proverbs 22, verse 1. A good name is rather to be chosen than great riches. A good name, not speaking now about the fact that I have a good name because my name is Sarah or Luke or Joy, but my name is my reputation there. A good reputation. Ecclesiastes 7, a good name is better than precious ointment. And then we have the astounding testimony of God throughout the book of Isaiah. We read it here in Isaiah 45, verse 4. I have even called thee by thy name. What a marvelous wonder. Jehovah God has given to his children a name. A name that he has determined that reflects how he is glorified and praised in and through them. And God goes on to expand on that. The fact that he has surnamed us even though we didn't know him. Before we were even born, God set his love upon us and God gave us a name that would reflect how we would give him praise and the unique place that we would occupy in his glorious purpose and plan of things. God did that and God sets us apart then and he gives to us that honor of knowing that we belong to him and we are his children. He's our father. And we're the children of our Heavenly Father. So that your and my surname now identifies the family that we're part of. Our family is not just limited to the things of this earth. I belong to the family of God. Because Jehovah God has looked upon me and he's given me a name. He's surnamed me. He's taken me as part of his family. And we reflect that by saying, I'm a Christian. And we know the significance of that. That means that I belong to Christ. I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. That I've been adopted by God into the family of the living God through the blood of my Savior, the Anointed One. God's name is reflected in our lives as we seek to live then to His glory and praise. The first commandment, the basic principle, God is one. The second commandment, the basic principle. God is a spirit. He's invisible. And now the third commandment, the basic principle. God is holy. And God in his holiness, in his glory as the one who is distinct and set apart from the whole of this creation, who is the perfection of glory, is the one now to whom we devote our worship, our adoration, and our praise. He must be reverenced. He must be revered. And the whole of our life then is lived in that consciousness that I am a child of the living God. He set his love upon me. He's given me his own name. And I live now with fear and reverence before his name, showing forth his glory. God's name's then revealing to us his greatness, his majesty, all his perfections as they're found in him. And because he's holy, his name is holy. 
And God requires then that we use his name with fear and with reverence to adore him, to worship him, to honor him. Verse 11 identifies God here as the Holy One of Israel. Thus saith the Lord, that is Jehovah, the Holy One of Israel and his maker, Israel's maker. So this is the greatness of our God. He's Jehovah, the covenant-keeping God, who reveals himself to us as the Holy One. He is completely consecrated to himself. There is no sin within him. And as such, the creator of heaven and earth. We then are called to fall down before this great God, to adore him and to worship him and to praise him and to acknowledge the greatness of his glory. God reveals himself with that name above every name. And as we read Isaiah 45, we see here how the rest of the scripture takes this revelation and develops it. As we read Isaiah 45, we hear echoes of Romans 9. How great is this God? He's the potter. We're the clay. He's the one that ordains the eternal destiny of every man, woman, child, every demon, an angel. And as such then, as the clay, we stand in awe and reverence before the potter. As we read this, we have echoes of Paul, Paul in Romans and Acts 4 verse 12. Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. God speaks of the fact that I am Jehovah. There is none beside me. I am the one alone through whom there is salvation. And that name, as Acts 4 verse 12 sets forth, is the name of Jesus especially. God reveals himself through Christ. Be it known unto you all and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom ye crucified, whom God raised from the dead, even by him doth this man stand here before you whole. Peter and James reflecting the wonder by which God had raised that one and testifying that Jesus Christ and his name, as that name above every name, is worthy alone of worship. And so God comes to us, beloved, and God says, this is who I am. You know the greatness of my glory. It's been revealed to you, not only in my word, but I've written that word upon your heart. And I've given you to know how great, how majestic, how powerful I am. And I've given you the gift of language. And now, your calling is to take that gift of language and the names that I've given concerning myself and to live before my face, giving me all the praise and honor that is due unto me. Love me with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Glorify and serve me. Use your lips to reflect the reverence and the awe that is due unto this great glorious God who is the creator of all things, whose love is from everlasting to everlasting and who has taken you and given you a place now in his glorious family. As the redeemed, sanctified children of God, 
we fall on our knees and we reverence this great God. We take the names that he's given us and we now seek to use them in a manner that reflects worship and praise and adoration. God gives us two commandments that speak to language and our use of the tongue, the third and the ninth. Here in the third commandment, God speaks to how that language is to protect his name and to exalt his name. In the ninth, God speaks of the fact of how that language is to protect our own name and the name of our neighbor. God, a holy God, before whom we bow in fear and in adoration. We stand then before the prohibition that's clearly laid out here in this commandment that we not take the name of God in vain. Expanded on that, we read in the Catechism that we, not only by cursing or perjury, but also by rash swearing, must not profane or abuse the name of God, nor by silence or connivance be partakers of these horrible sins in others. We know the history of man, and we know what happened to that good gift of language. Man fell into sin. And through the fall into sin, man took that good gift that God had given and now turns it against God. Rather than using the tongue to esteem and to reverence and to glorify God, man now uses the gift of language to try to esteem self above God. And so man takes that good gift that God gave now, which is now corrupted by sin in the fall, and he tries to use language now and the names that God gives concerning himself against God. Man wants to be God. And so we try to make ourselves look better. We try to esteem ourselves and we undermine God and we undermine his glory. We try to bring God down. Instead of God being the one before whom we live with awe and reverence, God is just someone that we tolerate, someone that we acknowledge. We go to church on Sunday, but then the rest of our life, We're not making decisions in connection with his will and his glory. We're not seeking to show forth his praise for the vows we've made. We're living for ourselves. We're pursuing our own will, our own glory. We call ourselves Christians. And then what do we do? We walk in a manner that is very un-Christ-like. And so God's name then is not esteemed, it's not reverenced in our lives. Again, we're tempted to do this also to those who are closest to us. We take the knowledge that we have of others around us and we now use that knowledge against them. We use that knowledge to make ourselves look better in pride. God's name is profaned in the most basic and tragic way when the revelation then that God has given concerning his glory, his majesty, his holiness is now used in a blasphemous manner. Rather than taking God's names and using them to revere and to reverence him, we take God's names, we take heaven, we take hell, and we now use them in a manner that serves our own ambition and desire. 
We use them in a vain manner, lightly. We take the glorious wonders of God and we bring them down to the earth. And so swearing and cursing becomes commonplace. We take what's intended to be holy and we make it common. God's names are used to call down God's damnation. How horrible. We hear this on the radio, we hear it at the workplace, we hear it on television and movies, in any number of different contexts as we deal with people. Profanity, cursing, swearing that takes these good, glorious truths and now brings them down to the level of man. And this isn't new. Men and women attack the honor of God. They take their name on his lips with no thought and even use the word God, not referring to anything about the holy and the righteous one, but to speak in a manner that is carnal and profane. Now here's the striking thing. Even pagans fear to take the name of the gods on their lips. They're afraid that those gods might respond to them and might do something to them. And so they're careful. How careless sinful men and women are. They lack all fear of God. They lack all concern about God's glory, about God's power, God's omnipotence, God's everywhere present power and being. And with a spirit of bold opposition, they think that they can take God's name on their lips and they can use it in a common, vain manner without any consequence. Others do so without even thinking what they're doing. Now it's easy for us to listen to that language and start talking like these people. We start using God's name, God's glory, heaven, hell, in a flippant manner. And we become guilty of the same sins of those individuals. Are we living in reverence and awe and using our language to reflect that glory or not? And then we become hardened to it. We hear it so much, we start using it on our own lips and we start talking like those individuals. Beloved, the Catechism directs us here to stand up for God and to stand up for His glory. I am the Redeemer. I am the Creator. I'm the one that has given you my name. Defend that glorious name. Why would you attack the Creator of heaven and earth And why would you do so thinking that there's going to be no consequences? Reverence. Give him glory. Why would you take the name of God so lightly? Why would you mock spiritual things? Now, beloved, there are some things in our lives that are difficult to control. We can only respond to those who sin in our presence. And when someone then in our presence is speaking in a carnal manner, making use of curses and swear words, in a careful way then, we're able to bring the matter to their attention and to speak with them about their sin and the glory and honor of this great God. With television, radio, movies, the internet, we can't be a witness to them concerning God's glory and honor. 
but we stand before God who is our witness and we can turn it off we can refuse to listen to it and that's our calling before God God says why would you fill your ears with this filth and this pollution and to do so thinking that it's not going to have an impact on you that it's not going to cause your estimation of the greatness of God to be reduced and minimized and so we control what we listen to we oversee what our children are listening to what kind of things are they listening to what kind of things are they watching are they filling their minds with blasphemous music and movies and what can be an indicator they're talking like the world if a teacher comes and says your student is using this bad language in school on the bus on the playground then we need to investigate what are they listening to who are they interacting with why are they taking these names so flippantly upon their lips and we need to deal with the matter and you young people and you children need to hear the word of God God says you are my children now don't talk like you're the children of the world by your conversation. It seems as though you're the children of the devil. I have redeemed you. I've surnamed you. I've called you my own. And now you belong to my family. And you're to live now as those who show yourself to be children of your heavenly Father. Don't mock your Creator. Don't blaspheme and ridicule His glorious name. Reverence it. Give him the honor that is due unto his name. How are you talking? How are you interacting with others? Why is it that you take these words on your lips? Are you trying to get it, make a scene? Trying to make yourself look better in the eyes of others? Shame on you. Do you love yourself more than God? Do you love yourself so much, God says, that you're willing to sacrifice my glory We stand before the living God of heaven and earth. And beloved, we repent. We turn from that sin. We pray for the grace to fight it, to do battle against it. When our spouse, when our children, when our parents warn us, we take it to heart. We pray about it. We realize that it's only in Christ that we're able to overcome. And we delve into the word of God in order that the glory and the majesty and the awe of God might control our lives more fully. A great temptation for you and me is where the emphasis of the catechism falls, that we treat God's name then as though it has little value. You say, but I'm not cursing, I'm not swearing. But there's a lack of reverence in our prayer. There's a lack of fear and honor in our singing and in our worship. That's the violation of the third commandment that's most common among God's people that's a cursing a swearing a vain use that doesn't take place by the world but by the people of God within the church God's name is lifted up in a vain manner it doesn't reflect that life of gratitude that life of thankfulness it doesn't reflect that honor that majesty that awe and so we take God's name on our lips. We don't show him the fear and the reverence that he's due. Our lives don't reflect that honor and that praise. We don't 
trust in God like we ought. We don't show by our walk and our conduct that we're leaning on Him and that we're acknowledging that the only way I can maintain the vows that I've made is by His grace and His help so that my life is characterized by prayer, by crying out to Him, and by repentance and true sorrow for sin. I make vows before Him using His name and calling upon His name to assist me and to help me. But then, I'm not very serious about that in my life. God brings a man and a woman together in His perfect providence, as Lord willing He will do this Friday evening with Logan and Caitlin. They make vows before God, leaning on God to assist and to help them to maintain faithfulness one to another. But then, what happens so easily, so quickly, Our flesh and the devil tempt us to violate those vows, to not live in accordance with that bond in which God has called us. A young man, a young woman makes vows to maintain the truth of God as taught in this Christian church. But then what happens in time? They forsake the truth. They join themselves to other groups and other churches where all kinds of theological errors are present, where godless living is promoted. Beloved, it's easy to make vows. It requires sacrifice, tremendous sacrifice to maintain them. And it requires awe and reverence to bow before the living God in prayer and to acknowledge with humility, I can't do this. That's why I stood before the living God. God, help me. I need grace. I need strength. I need to trust His will. I need to pursue His will, which alone is good. I need to turn away from what my flesh wants to do. Through tears, I need to confess God's will and God's way is right. Too often, beloved, we show a vain use of God's name, and God's name then becomes meaningless in our lives. The name of God does not result in godliness and holiness. We're not committed to maintaining that reverence and that awe that we ought. And that's what happened in Israel. God repeatedly had to come through the prophet Isaiah and other prophets to Israel to leave them without an excuse for this grievous sin. God has to come to them and say, look at you. Look at how you're living. Look at how you're conducting yourself. Don't you know who I am? Don't you know what I've done for you? Don't you know the wonder of who you are by my grace? I have made myself known to you. I have revealed myself as creator. And you've mocked me. You've ridiculed me. You've rebelled against me. And you've taken my name and you've brought it down. And you're using my name now to justify the grossest of sins. God speaks sharp judgment on those who violate God's name and use it lightly. And beloved, we hear that. And we're thankful for the wonder by which God forgives his elect remnant. And God works in us the grace to know his blessedness and to live in repentance and true sorrow and to pursue his will. We confess when we make vows and oaths and when we take God's name on our lips, punish me if I swear falsely. Punish me. The living God of heaven and earth is the God who is able to punish a man like no one else. 
He sends that one to everlasting destruction in hell. Sin makes it so that we're liars. We don't speak the truth. Out of our mouth come all kinds of lies. And that's what makes the vows and the oaths necessary. Profaning God's name with regard to the oath or the vow comes so natural for us because of our sinful natures and because of the lies that are inherent within us. We're inclined maybe to swear by something other than God. That's what the Pharisees were doing. Swear by the temple, swear by the gold of the temple. And they were using that to try to do in essence what children sometimes do. Cross your fingers, then you can tell a lie. Justify telling the lie. If you're crossing your fingers, then it doesn't matter. God says, you're men and women of the truth and you need to tell the truth in what you do and what you take up. And know that God is the searcher of the hearts. He knows what's right. He knows what's wrong. And therefore, you call upon him as the judge who will judge your heart. Second, there's that false swearing called perjury where we are called perhaps to give a witness to a certain account and we don't tell the truth. Maybe our child is involved. Maybe it's someone that we know. And so instead of telling the truth, We lie because we're concerned about the consequences on someone else. Finally, there's the rash oath. That is, we're guilty of saying, I swear this. And how often don't we get caught up in that kind of language? I swear it's true. I swear I said this. I swear they did this. Sometimes your children do that. You shouldn't do that. That's a violation again of God's great and glorious name. God says, tell the truth. And when you're living a life of truthfulness, you don't have to be constantly taking God's name on your lips and swearing this or that or the other. We honor one another's word. And this is why, too, we understand it's wrong to join societies that would require such swearing of an oath rather than an oath that's to God and on the basis of his name and for his glory. There's a temptation to take Oaths that have to do with organizations or exalt organizations above the truth. The Lord will not hold him guiltless. Many look at profanity today as very trivial. We don't because God does not. He whose tongue is vibrating with cursing and swearing is unclean. His mouth reveals what's going on in his heart. His focus isn't on God. It's not on God and his eternal word. His focus is on self. And without repentance, he faces the judgment of God in everlasting destruction in hell. And here's the tragedy, beloved, in part, from a human perspective. This is a temptation, a sin, for which there is seemingly such little gain. Now I speak again foolishly, but from the perspective of other commandments, if I steal, at least I get something. If I murder, I perhaps accomplish something that I desired in getting rid of someone that was in my way. But what do you gain by cursing and swearing? What benefit is there from an earthly perspective even? Rather than extolling the creator, we treat him like the Jews treated Christ. Crucify him, crucify him, is our response. And that profanity affects others. It corrupts our neighbors, it corrupts our family. It encourages others around us to use language that's not 
with awe and reverence. And so notice the appropriate nature then of the penalty as well. Those who pretend there is no God, those who take God's name lightly, who use that name flippantly, who think that they can escape the creator of heaven and earth, God says, you won't. I am the one who will hold you accountable. And I will require of you that you will give satisfaction. Beloved, the only place that we can cling to is to the cross of Jesus Christ. We take the threat that's connected with this commandment and we bring it to the cross. And in Him we have forgiveness. In Him we know the wonder by which He has given us everlasting righteousness. We stand as redeemed saints who fall in reverence and awe before our God, delivered from the corruption and given to know the joy and wonder of life with God in glory. And so we hear God's command that we use the holy name of God no otherwise than with fear and reverence so that he may be rightly confessed and worshipped by us and be glorified in all our words and works. The whole of our life lived before God. I'm an adopted child of the King. I've been brought into his family. I take upon myself the name of my eldest brother. I'm a Christian. And the whole of my life now is lived in the consciousness of what that means. That name of God touches my marriage. That name of God touches my responsibility toward my children. That name of God touches my calling as to how I work. That name of God touches the decisions that I make in my life. It touches every single aspect of my life. How I live, how I play, it affects all my recreation. It touches everything. It touches my life on Sunday. It touches my life on Monday, on Friday night, on Saturday night. This is because God has made me who I am by grace. And I carry now that glorious name of Christian. And I call God my Father. And I stand before Him in the awareness of who He is, His glory and His majesty. And I delight in Him. And I want to extol His name. I want to reverence Him above all else. And I know Instead of dealing with me as I deserve, this Jehovah, my covenant-keeping God, gave his own son, Jesus Christ, to die in my place. Verse 17, But Israel shall be saved in the Lord with an everlasting salvation. He shall not be ashamed nor confounded, world without end. Jehovah God has saved you with an everlasting salvation. It can't be broken. It can't be lost. It's everlasting. And you will never be ashamed. You will never be confounded. World without end. God glorified his name on the cross when he cursed his own son for your and my vain use of his name. And Christ took that curse perfectly upon himself and he paid the price that you and I deserve death and hell and Jesus brought glory to the name of God by maintaining God's name with reverence perfectly obediently God determined that he would glorify his name through the wonder of election 
necessarily. Election of some means then that others are passed over. They're reprobated. God's name is exalted through the wonder of election. And Jesus is the elect who walked that perfect path of obedience as the representative of all of God's own. And he redeemed you. He redeemed me in order to bring us into the family of God so that we might know the name of God as our own. I have known thee, God says. I have named thee. I have surnamed thee. And the work of Jesus Christ enables us now to praise him with tongues that have been redeemed, with lives that have been touched by the wonder of his grace so that the prophetic office is renewed now in my life. I'm a prophet, priest, and king. And as a prophet now, I sacrifice. As a priest, I sacrifice my life in the service of my Lord and King. As a prophet, my language, my tongue is that which speaks to the glory and honor of God. We walk before God with the spirit of verse 24. In the Lord have I righteousness and strength. In verse 25, in the Lord shall all the seed of Israel be justified and shall glory. Beloved, when that confession lives in your heart, then you awe and reverence God. You stand before God with the glory that is due unto his name. And when you sin, you repent. You cry out in mercy and you long for the grace and strength that he alone can give. To use his name rightly. Now what about oaths? Are oaths allowed? And the catechism says yes. When the magistrate demands it of the subjects or when necessity requires us thereby to confirm fidelity and truth to the glory of God and the safety of our neighbor. We don't take the perspective. The magistrate has no right to require of me to speak an oath. We acknowledge that God has given to the magistrate the authority in this area to require of me. And I count it a privilege on a witness stand to testify in an act of worship that I believe my God is the only God who knows the heart. That he alone is able to be the judge whether I'm telling the truth or not. And so when I swear an oath then, that oath is to be kept. When I make vows before the living God, those vows must be honored. Our baptism form stresses that. That now, having baptized my son, my daughter, my vow is then to raise that one to the utmost of my power. And scripture reveals the penalties that come upon the one who breaks vows. The marriage form stresses that marriage is a bond between a man and a woman till death separates them. And our church order binds the ministry to a man for life. In Deuteronomy 23, verse 21, the Lord says, When thou shalt vow a vow unto the Lord thy God, thou shalt not slack to pay it. For the Lord thy God will surely require it of thee, and it would be sin in thee. Verse 23 continues, That which is gone out of thy lips thou shalt keep and perform, even a freewill offering, according as thou hast vowed unto the Lord thy God, which thou hast promised with thy mouth. Even when it costs us 
we maintain that which we've spoken, trusting that God, as the all-knowing, all-wise God, will grant what's necessary for me through the consequences of maintaining that which I've spoken. Ecclesiastes 5 verse 4 says, When thou vowest a vow unto God, defer not to pay it. For yet no pleasure in fools pay that which thou hast vowed. Better it is that thou shouldst not vow than that thou shouldst vow and not pay. Living before the face of Almighty God in covenant fellowship, we as believers live, speak, and we act as before the name of God. And our vows are spoken in the presence of God, in the midst of His church, calling upon Him as our witness. Joyful occasions these are, but also solemn. Because in making these vows, for instance, with confession of faith, we pledge to adhere to the doctrines taught in this Christian church, to reject all heresies repugnant thereto, and to lead a new godly life. And that's why confession of faith must be made by those who are mature enough to understand the seriousness of that promise that they make. And that they lean on God to assist them to keep it. We pledge on the base of God's name to live in marriage, reflecting God's covenant love. With baptism, the vow that we make to see to it that our children are instructed and taught the fear of the Lord to the utmost of our power. In our homes, in the church, seeing to it that they attend good Christian schools so that our children are taught the truths of God's word and godly life. As office bearers, we vow to maintain our offices according to the formula of subscription, that we will uphold the word of God, that the decisions that we make will be in accordance with his word and the confessions, and that we will not be guilty of violating or creating schism by our walk and our conduct. These are solemn vows. We make before God acknowledging, I am a sinner, I'm weak, I need God's help. And I stand before God now as an act of worship, acknowledging his greatness, his glory, and his ability to assist me. Beloved, every day we need to cry out for grace to maintain those vows that God has led us to make. It's only by his grace that we can reverence him, that we can adore him. And it's only of his mercy that we're not sent to hell because of our violation and disobedience. We're no better than the wicked who openly violate this commandment daily. Daily, we also violate God's name. We take it in vain. What's our comfort, beloved? Verse 23 of Isaiah 45. I have sworn by myself the word has gone out of my mouth in righteousness and shall not return. There's my and your comfort, beloved. God swore an oath. The God who cannot and will not lie, who is unchangeable, he has sworn an oath on the base of his own name and he will keep it. That oath cost him his own son. There was no one by whom he could swear apart from himself. Even though Israel forsook his name, they walked according to the lie 
God swore that he would maintain his promise to them. Even though you and I sin and are sinful, we violate God's will day in and day out. God says, look to me. I have sworn by myself and I will maintain it. Beloved, this God is our God. And he will be our guide even through death. He will maintain his faithfulness. And the basis of that glorious understanding, we are thankful. Amen. Our Father who art in heaven, may thy name be exalted and magnified in our lives. May we reflect the wonder of our gratitude and thankfulness to thee for thy faithfulness to that oath which thou hast sworn to preserve and to keep us now and to all eternity. Forgive us and bless us for Jesus' sake. Amen.